Hi, it's Amy Siskin of The Weekly List and author of the book, The List, and welcome to episode 70 of The Weekly List Podcast, which accompanies week 153 on the Weekly List website, theweeklylist.org, and corresponds to the week ended October 19th, 2019. Welcome. Well, folks, following the pattern we've discussed as we head towards impeachment and the end of either Trump or our democracy, unclear which at this point, the weekly list has continuing to get longer and longer. This week, we hit a historic 258 not normal items. Again, to put that in some perspective, before the start of impeachment, we only had two weeks out of the first 149 that were over 200 items. The longest had been 206. And since impeachment started, we scaled up to 225, 240, 245, and now 258. So yours truly has an aching soul and aching arms from trying to type all this out and read all of the stuff that's happening. But there are many storylines playing out now, in addition to the impeachment inquiry itself. And the interesting thing, if you listen to this podcast and follow the list, are all of these stories play out in the weekly list. The withholding of military aid to Ukraine was in the early weeks, and, you know, sort of each step building up to where we are now, and the House finally seizing on a particular item to pursue are all recorded. And we're also going to talk about some new items this week. Uh, that are potentially troublesome that could open up, again, new chapters and, and new areas of discovery about things that Trump has done. And already before we got to withholding aid from Ukraine and the quid pro quo and you know, requesting out loud help from foreign governments in an election, there are already so many other examples of things that Trump has done that deserve um, or deserve impeachment articles. So I'm, again, thankful that our Congress has focused on one to take forward. Uh, but we're going to touch on a lot of areas this week alone that are continuing storylines or beginnings of new storylines that shows just how corrupt, inept, self-serving. Uh, and I'm just going to use the words of Nancy Pelosi that she, she said this week, and this is in the picture that accompanies Week 153 on the website, all roads lead to Putin. The two major storylines we're going to talk about this week. If Putin were to call Trump and say, these are the two things at the top of my list, I need you to work on them now, what would those things be? Well, I think we're seeing two of them. One is to weaken Ukraine by hobbling them through what is now the center of our impeachment inquiry. And the other is to destabilize the region of Syria, to empower Russia and give them a foothold in the Middle East. And Trump has done that too. And in a calamitous way uh, that has played out even more quickly than we could have imagined in front of our eyes. So just remember that phrase, all roads lead to Putin. And we're going to go through this list, which is extremely long, but I'm going to try to put it into some perspective as we go. There's a number of things we're going to talk about and mention that we haven't talked about before, uh, but they're important. And even if you can't remember them from listening in the podcast, they're all in written form on the weeklylist.org. You can click on the stories accompanying them. There's a number of new names and some names like Oleg Deripaska that's coming back again. But again, the common theme is Russia. 
And remember, Ukraine, at the time that the two new names we've been talking about, Parnas and Fruman, lived there, was at that point a, a Soviet republic. So there's a lot of ties deeply in between some of this Ukrainian activity and Russia again. Starting off uh, with number one, and we start off always each week with things to put some context and broader context in, and we start off this week by saying the Washington Post, as we are approaching the first 1,000 days of Trump in office, said that Trump has made 13,435 false or misleading claims. I like to call them lies. Nearly 20% of his lies come from his prolific tweeting. Now, one thing that I have always noted is the escalation in the number of lies per day, sort of the law of diminishing returns, as we like to say on, in economics. Either his lies are becoming less potent, so he needs to lie more often, or things are becoming more frantic, which seems to be the case as well, and he feels the chaos and the need to defend more and more fronts. So in the first 100 days we talked about, Trump had averaged 6.5 lies per day. When Trump crossed the 10,000 lies uh, mark in April, he was averaging 14 lies per day. In the last 65 days, he's averaging 22 lies per day. On Wednesday, an analysis by ProPublica and Columbia Journalism found halfway through Trump's first term, his regime had hired 281 lobbyists. That's one in every 14 hired. Watchdog groups called it a staggering number. So much for draining the swamp. On Friday, a Brookings Institute analysis found turnover in the Trump regime at 80% of 18 members. And additionally, this week we had the 10th Senate-confirmed cabinet member resign. Um, I say 10 cabinet members, but there are a whole slew of others who are never confirmed, like McKellenin, uh, who was secretary of DHS, who also has resigned and is not counted in that, in that count because he was never confirmed. So again, record turnover. On Thursday, and I put this up front to get some notice, Russian news agency TASS, who has often reported stories before our media reported them, like Trump's Oval Office meeting, um, with Kislyak and Lavrov. Uh, TASS reported that Russia and the U.S. are gradually resuming cooperation on cybersecurity. It is unclear what this meant, and no U.S. media reported on it. Again, Nancy Pelosi, all roads lead to Putin. On Tuesday, the family of British teenager Harry Dunn, who was killed in a crash involving a U.S. Dip diplomat's wife, was surprised when Trump invited them to the White House, then said the suspect was in the next room. The shocked family declined the meeting. A spokesperson for the Dunn family said Wednesday, quote, reflecting on it this morning, I think Charlotte and Tim realize that Trump was only doing it for himself. On Saturday, speaking at the Value Voter Summit in D.C., Trump threatened to sue House Democrat Adam Schiff and Speaker Nancy Pelosi over impeachment, adding, quote, or maybe we should just impeach them. On Saturday, Trump had lunch with Rudy Giuliani at his golf course in Sterling, Virginia, in a show of support after appearing to distance himself late Friday night last week. Later on Fox News, Trump called him a, quote, great gentleman. On Saturday, Politico reported on an April 2014 photo of Trump standing shoulder to shoulder with Lev Parnos, both smiling. Last week, Trump said, I don't know those gentlemen. 
On Saturday, the Washington Post reported Gordon Sondland, U.N. ambassador to the EU, is expected to tell Congress this week in testimony that no quid pro quo with Ukraine text was dictated to him by Trump. A person close to Sondland said he believed at the time what Trump told him when he replied to William Taylor and that he had no direct knowledge if Trump was telling the truth. If you'll recall, last week, Sondland did not testify. He, he canceled the morning of uh, coming back to speak to Congress because Trump had stonewalled him. On Sunday, an NBC Wall Street Journey poll found 55% now are in favor of an impeachment inquiry with 39% against. Again, within the GOP, 91% of Trump Republicans say there's not enough evidence. But if you go more broadly, just 58% of Republicans broadly agree with that, that there's not enough evidence. So you're seeing a, a split between what was the Republican Party and the Trump version of the Republican Party. On Sunday, Trump continued his attacks on Fox. This time he was targeting Fox News newsman Chris Wallace, saying, quote, somebody please tell Chris Wallace of Fox, who will never be his father and my friend Mike Wallace, about his call with Ukraine. Trump added, quote, it was only Schiff's made up version of that conversation that was bad. Fox News' Chris Wallace responded, quote, one of us has a daddy problem and it's not me. On Sunday, a CBS poll found 63% say Trump should cooperate with the impeachment inquiry. 37% said he should not. Republicans remain opposed at 16%, Democrats four at 88%, but independents are up at 47%. And we noted last week the rise in independent support. Just generally, there's been a huge jump up in support um, for impeachment that happened very quickly in the first two weeks. This week, it kind of flattened out. Uh, but again, we're already at levels. We're going to talk about a Gallup poll that we were at well into the Nixon impeachment. We're already at 52% improvement in Gallup poll, which measured not only the desire to impeach, but also remove. 52% of Americans want to impeach and remove Trump. And at the height of Nixon, at right before he was actually you know, about to be impeached and resigned, he was at 56%. So just some perspective there on how far up and how quickly up we've moved in support as a country. On Sunday, Trump warned Democrats, tweeting, quote, the Democrats are going to lose a lot of House seats because their fraudulent use of impeachment, adding Senate seats will also be at risk. On Sunday, the New York Times reported Trump plans to bring Trump's plans to bring former Representative Trey Gowdy failed after discovering due to a lobbying rule disclosed by Gowdy 30 minutes after signing up to join Trump. He's not going to be able to join Trump's little impeachment party. So that is another you know, case of absolute. Uh, uh, these people can't do anything right. On Sunday, the New York Times reported on a violent video of the likeness of Trump shooting, stabbing, and assaulting the news media and his political opponents, which was placed at a conference at Trump National Doral, Miami. The conference was hosted by pro-Trump group American Priority, and speakers included Donald Jr., Sarah Sanders, and Florida Governor Rick DeSantis. Sanders and Donald Jr. claimed they did not see the video. White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham tweeted Monday that Trump had not seen the video. Trump was not involved in creating the video. However, he refused to comment or condemn it on Twitter or in public, and the video was extremely 
um, alarming, shocking, violent. You'll remember that a couple of years ago, Trump tweeted a video of uh, the likeness of CNN being clobbered by him. And again, we have had many attempts of violence aimed at our media, one successful in the wake of Trump's repeated calls of fake news and enemy of the people, and specifically targeting CNN. Now we're going to get into some just everyday racism. Uh, before we get into broadly what happened this week, just sort of a backdrop of what continues to happen in our country. On Saturday, a 28-year-old African-American woman, Atenia Jefferson, was killed in a bedroom in her apartment in Fort Worth, Texas, by a police officer after a neighbor called for a wellness check on her. The officer, Aaron York, was arrested and hours later resigned, um, after, hours after he resigned on Monday. He shot her at 2.25 a.m. while she was babysitting her nephew. Strangely, after a wellness check call, a SWAT-type presence was sent to respond. On Saturday in White Plains, a suburb of New York City, a man wearing a baseball cap with a swastika drawn on top walked into a diner at lunchtime. Because why not? <laughs> oh, Michael, here we are in the Trump era. Police were called and he was escorted out. On Monday, the homepage of the State Department website showed Secretary of State Mike Pompeo giving a speech to the American Association of Christian Counselors. And on the front page of our State Department website, it said, quote, being a Christian leader. Attorney General William Barr gave a speech at the University of Notre Dame where he blamed secularist and, quote, so-called progressives for destroying society and precipitating the crisis of family dissolution, crime, and drugs. Someone lined up a passage of his speech with Mein Kampf, and they seemed pretty simpatico. On Thursday, NBC News reported Brittany Spencer, a waitress in Wisconsin, was fired for refusing to serve customers making transphobic comments about a transgender person seated at the bar. The restaurant, Fat Joe's Bar and Grill, disabled their Facebook page. Spencer said she is looking for a new job and filed a complaint with the EEOC. On Thursday, at a Justice Department ceremony, Matthew Shepard's parents rebuked Barr and the Trump regime for siding with employers, saying they can legally discriminate against gay and transgender workers. On Thursday, the Council on, Islamic, on American Islamic Relations sent in a complaint that Medina Brown was barred from wearing her job to her job at a Delaware agency. Okay, now we're going to get into the week. And we're going to kind of zigzag. This is a very long week into some things related to Giuliani, some things related to Syria, and then a lot of things related to impeachment. I've done my best to group these into themes to keep, you know, some semblance of understanding here of the impact of these things. Uh, so we're going to jump around a little bit, but they are grouped out together by themes as usual. On Sunday, Hunter Biden said in a statement he is stepping down from the board of Chinese firm BHR and will not engage in any foreign work if Joe Biden wins 2020. Biden, again, has not been accused of any wrongdoing. On Monday, Trump tweeted, wow, Hunter Biden is being forced to leave a Chinese company, adding, now watch the fake news wrap their greasy and very protective arms around him. On Monday, Trump demanded the whistleblower testify and be identified. Tweeting, quote, Adam Schiff now doesn't want the whistleblower to testify. No. Adding, he got my Ukraine conversation so wrong. 
Trump added, we must determine the whistleblower's identity to determine why this was done to the USA and calling it, quote, a total impeachment scam. So again, we have laws in this country. One is that whistleblowers are protected. This is the leader of our country continuing to call on the whistleblower's identity to be made public. On Monday, the Washington Post reported amid Trump's attacks on Chairman Schiff, including accusations of treason, Schiff has faced escalating threats of violence from Trump's fans, such as, quote, Shifty Schiff needs to be hung. On Monday, Trump attacked the Fox News poll from week 152 again, tweeting, quote, the Fox impeachment poll has turned out to be incorrect based on questionable analysis in the Murdoch-owned New York Times published Friday. Again, that poll said that 51% were for impeachment and removal. We've just cited three other polls that show similar numbers or even higher. Trump attacked the New York Times for mentioning the poll, tweeting, quote, the corrupt New York Times used this poll despite the New York Post analysis saying, saying, quote, Fox News pollster broad research misinterpreted impeachment poll, which was a bunch of garbage. On Tuesday, a new poll by conservative pollster Scott Rasmussen found 50% favor impeachment and removal of Trump. Net support for impeach and remove is up 16 points since early September. So that's, again, conservative pollster Scott Rasmussen within one point of the Fox News poll. On Tuesday, a new poll by Axios found 76% of college students support an impeachment inquiry. Support for an impeachment inquiry is up from 52% in May. On Monday, Fiona Hill, the White House former top Russia advisor, testified before the House Intelligence Oversight and Financial Services Committees behind closed doors for 10 hours. And when I say the three committees, those are the three, Intelligence, Oversight, and Financial. In a letter, the White House tried to limit her testimony, citing executive privilege, Hill's attorney responded Sunday, saying in part, executive privilege disappears when there is possible government misconduct. So I wanted you to notice the difference between two things. First of all, the Mueller probe. Almost everybody that should have testified that was named in the Mueller probe refused, and Trump was successfully able to stonewall. The difference here in this impeachment inquiry are career diplomats are actually coming forward. Despite being told last week in this letter by Trump, that it was an invalid impeachment inquiry, that he was basically forbidding everyone and continuing to try to bully people. He is being disregarded. The first two to disregard him were Yovanovitch last week. She was the picture in week 152. She was the former ambassador to Ukraine. And this week, Fiona Hill was the second. She Again, her lawyers <coughs> ignored, attempted bullying by the White House to not um, testify. And she did testify for the good of our country. So... Again, they tried to block her. They pulled a stunts. Representative Matt Goetz tried to attend the hearing, though not a member of the three committees hosting. After the parliamentarian ruled he had to leave, he called it, quote, further evidence that Adam Schiff's clown show continues. Okay, so here's what Hill said that we are able to glean. Again, it was a closed hearing, so this is just based on reporting during the week. Hill said Giuliani, and also opening statements and so forth that we'll talk about from those who testified. But again, this is mostly reporting that has come out. Hill said Giuliani ran a shadow foreign policy in Ukraine that circumvented U.S. officials and career diplomats in order to personally benefit Trump. That's a big statement. Hill said she was infuriated with Maria Yanovich's removal. 
I'm going to say that first statement again, though. Hill said Giuliani ran a shadow foreign policy in Ukraine that circumvented U.S. officials and career diplomats in order to personally benefit Trump. Hill also said she confronted Sondland about Giuliani's activities. Giuliani told The Post, I don't know Fiona and can't figure out what she's talking about. The New York Times reported Hill's testimony, Hill testified former National Security Advisor John Bolton got into a tense exchange with Sondland on July 10th about efforts to press Ukraine to investigate Trump's political opponents. Bolton told Hill to notify the chief lawyer for the National Security Council about the rogue effort by Sondland Giuliani and Mick Mulvaney. He referred to Giuliani as, quote, a hand grenade. Hill also said that Bolton told her to inform White House lawyers, quote, I am not part of whatever drug deal Sondland and Mulvaney are cooking up. Bolton had a frequently expressed concern about Giuliani's activities. Hill also testified when she confronted Sondland, whose portfolio included the EU, he told her he was in charge, even though Ukraine is not part of the EU. She compared it to Alexander Haig Jr.'s declaration he was in charge after the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan. Hill testified that Sondland was viewed as a potential national security threat because he was a donor and a hotelie, but unprepared for his job. Hill said she raised concerns with intelligence officials inside the White House about Sondland. On Wednesday, the New York Times reported European officials were struck by Sondland's self-confidence bordering on arrogance. An official said at a dinner party, Sondland said his job was to, quote, destroy the European Union. During Hill's closed-door testimony, Trump tweeted a clip of Mark Levin of Fox News on Fox News saying, quote, this is a Democratic Party impeachment, not a full house, and calling it a silent coup effort, which was their new catchphrase this week, silent coup. On Monday, the Wall Street Journal reported federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York are examining Giuliani's business dealings with Ukraine. Witnesses have been questioned since at least August. So that was new reporting. The SDNY is examining Giuliani's finances, meetings, and worked for Vitaly Klitschko, the mayor of Kashkiv. Giuliani tried to do a deal with him in 2014 to restore order to the city, but the fee of 300000 was too high. However, in May 2017, Giuliani Security and Safety inked a contract with the city administrator of that town, Pavel Fuchs, a Kharkiv native who made a fortune in Russian real estate, paid the contract to Giuliani. Again, reminding you all, if Giuliani took foreign money and was acting on behalf of foreign government or foreign individuals to influence U.S. policy, he would have needed to register as a foreign, uh, under the Foreign Agency Act. He has not done so. And that's something we discussed last week that the SDNY is investigating. But there's more. Uh, we talked about uh, that 300000 on Monday, Giuliani told Reuters he was paid 500000 by Lev Parnas's company, Boca Raton-based Fraud Guarantee. Yes, that's the name of the country, company, Fraud Guarantee. In August 2018, as a technologies consultant and legal advisor on regulatory issues, according to the SDNY indictment in sealed in week one. 
52, an unidentified Russian businessman arranged for two payments totaling 500,000 as well. What a coincidence that were wired to Igor Fruman in September and October, 2018. So you're starting to get the picture again. All roads lead to Putin. On Tuesday, Giuliani told the Post the 500,000 from fraud guarantee was legitimate and originated in the U.S. saying, quote, I will provide beyond any doubt it came from the United States of America. On Tuesday, the Detroit News revealed photos of Parnas and Fruman at Florida Governor DeSantis's election night party. DeSantis returned 50,000 in donations from entities controlled by the two last week. Again, that's Russian money. On Tuesday, former Representative Pete Sessions was subpoenaed by an SDNY grand jury about his interactions with Giuliani and Associates. An attorney for Sessions said he is not a target and is cooperating. Remember, we talked last week, he was also given money to write a letter to the State Department about Yovanovitch, given money by these same two to get rid of her. On Wednesday, David Correa, the fourth man in the Southern District of New York probe of Giuliani Associates, who bribed Nevada officials on behalf of a Russian businessman, was arrested after getting off a flight at JFK Airport. On Tuesday, Washington Post reported Giuliani privately pressed Trump to extradite cleric Fethullah Gulen to Turkey, a top priority for Turkish President Erdogan. Giuliani pushed the issue so often, one official described it as his hobby horse. It is unclear why Giuliani was pushing for this cause. In week 152, he also pressed former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson for, to extradite Gullen to Turkey. Giuliani was not registered as a foreign lobbyist. Remember, that's against the law, which he would be required to if he were paid to do this work. On Tuesday, the Southern District of New York announced it had charged Hulk Bank, a Turkish state-owned bank, in a six-count indictment for fraud, money laundering, and sanction offenses relating to helping Iran evade U.S. sanctions. Reza Zarab, a client of Giuliani, testified that he helped orchestrate the deals with Iran, including bribing Turkey's finance minister and alleged, quote, Erdogan knew of and supported the laundering effort on behalf of Iran. And all these countries and all of this is important when we get into the other stories about Syria and all the interrelations of all these other things happening. It's, it's a bit complex, folks, but this work that Giuliani's doing in the countries impacted Ukraine, Turkey, Russia, Iran. We're going to see all these names again shortly. On Wednesday, USA Today reported that federal investigators of Giuliani include a counterintelligence probe indicating prosecutors in the Southern District of New York are looking at a broader sense of issue, broader set of issues. Kenneth McCallion, who represented several Ukrainian clients, said FBI counterintelligence agents interviewed him in February or March and asked about Giuliani's business dealings with Parnos and Fruman. So we're now learning these two were just picked up, but this has been ongoing for a long time. On Tuesday, Giuliani refused to comply with a congressional subpoena to turn over documents about his efforts with Ukraine, calling the impeachment inquiry unconstitutional, baseless, baseless and illegitimate. Giuliani also parted ways with his attorney who he had hired, I believe it was last week or the week before, John Sale, who he hired to represent him in the impeachment inquiry, and wrote the letter to Congress on his behalf. Giuliani said Sale represented him for this matter only, adding, quote, at this time, I do not need a lawyer. Ha ha. 
Pence also refused to comply with House requests to turn over documents, saying the, quote, self-proclaimed impeachment inquiry calls into question your commitment to fundamental fairness and a due process. They keep bringing up this due process rights. This is an impeachment inquiry. Two totally different things. The Department, Defense Department and Office of Management and Budget also refused to comply with congressional subpoenas to turn over documents. I'll claim the inquiry was illegitimate without a full House vote. On Tuesday, after meeting with House Democrats, Speaker Pelosi told reporters at a news conference on the impeachment inquiry that, quote, all roads seem to lead to Putin with the president. Pelosi also said the full House would not be voting on impeachment inquiry at this time, despite pressure from Trump and the Republicans to do so, saying we are not here to call bluffs. We are here to find the truth. On Tuesday, the New York Times reported the White House has opened an internal review of the Ukraine call, which some fear is a hunt for a scapegoat. The review threatened Trump's narrative that the call was perfect. It is not clear who sought the review, but Mulvaney encouraged it and his aides are helping. White House counsel Pat Cipollone conducted. The review could also center on how Deputy White House counsel John Eisenberg handled the transcript. On Tuesday, the New York Times reported Konstantin Kulek, a Ukrainian prosecutor behind the dossier on Hunter Biden, has been indicted on corruption and his ties to a Ukrainian warlord accusing of working for Russian intelligence. Again, so this is the person who has been giving dirt on Hunter Biden, his connections to Russian intelligence. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> All roads lead to Putin. On the July 25th call, Zelensky told Trump the prosecutors will look into the situation on Hunter Biden. It was unclear if Kulak, who remains a department head in the prosecutor general's office, is still on this case. On Tuesday, Time reported Ukrainian oligarch Dmitry Firtash, remember him? Who has spent the last five years in Vienna fighting extradition to the U.S., provided dirt to Trump associates on Robert Mueller and Joe Biden. So he is in Vienna avoiding extradition. Now, remember in one week 152 when Fruman and Parnas were picked up at Dulles Airport? They were about to catch a flight to Vienna. And guess who else was going to Vienna last week? Rudy Giuliani. I'm sure these are all just a coincidence because Vienna is such a nice place to go this time of year. And they're all going for 24-hour trips. Anyway, so Dmitry Furtash is there um, finding extradition and providing dirt on Robert Mueller and Joe Biden. On Wednesday, NBC News reported Parnas and Fruman were advocating on behalf of Furtash when they pitched a natural gas deal and Furtash produced a document that Giuliani used to attack Joe Biden. The Department of Justice has yet to resign to a query by GOP Senator Roger Wicker on why Furtash has not been extradited from Austria. Giuliani claimed he has nothing to do with Furtash and never spoke to Trump about his case. On Wednesday, ProPublica reported Trump's businesses used two different sets of figures for two properties to make them appear more profitable to a lender and less profitable to officials who set the building's property tax. Documents for 40 Wall Street and Trump International Hotel and Tower were the two sets of four properties obtained under the Freedom of Information Act. One real estate professional called the discrepancies a, quote, version of fraud. Okay, folks, and now we're going to get into the situation in Syria. And I, you know, I just have to say there are some parts 
of the weekly list that are easier to transcribe than others. This is just so truly heartbreaking and unnecessary um, and, and, and calamitous all at once what's happening to these people that are being displaced, being murdered, this potential ethnic cleansing that has been unleashed by Trump, who seems totally indifferent. And indifferent is probably the kindest thing I could say. Um, we're going to go through these stories just to remember in history how quickly this played out and how Trump bundled it, bundled it even further, and yet how few spoke out or even tried to stop him. On Sunday, NPR reported all U.S. forces involved in fighting ISIS were prepared to evacuate from Syria after troops were endangered by Turkey's incursion. Turkey's rapid military invasion put U.S. troops in danger. Trump came under considerable criticism from both Democrats and Republicans. Former NSA Susan Rice called it, quote, nothing short of a self-inflicted catastrophe, adding ISIS will, quote, rejuvenate and reconstitute itself. On Sunday, Trump tweeted, quote, very smart not to be involved in the intense fighting along the Turkish border for a change, adding, quote, those that mistakenly got us into the Middle East wars are still pushing to fight. Trump also tweeted, quote, the Kurds and Turkey have been fighting for many years. Turkey considers the PKK the worst terrorists of all, and, quote, others may want to come in and fight, let them, adding endless wars. So he's basically a spokesperson now for Turkey. On Sunday, when asked on this week why there was a delay in imposing sanctions on Turkey, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin responded that, quote, it is a complicated developing situation involving a NATO ally. On Sunday, Defense Secretary Mark Esper defended the withdrawal of troops on Fox News Sunday, saying this their presence would not stop Turkey's advance and, quote, I'm not one to classify them as a tripwire. Esper told Face the Nation that Trump ordered 1,000 troops to be withdrawn, a larger withdrawal than initially indicated amid reports Turkey was expanding its offense. On Sunday, retired Marine John Allen told CNN, quote, there is blood on Trump's hands for abandoning our Kurdish allies, adding a full-blown ethnic cleansing is underway by Turkish-supported militias. On Sunday, Hevren Khalif, the secretary general of the pro-Kurdish Future Syria party, was pulled from her SUV and executed by Turkish-backed militia in Syria, along with 10 others. She was 35. On Sunday, Kurdish forces, abandoned by the U.S. after five years of fighting together, announced a new deal with the government in Damascus, an enemy of the U.S. that is backed by Russia. I just want to remind everybody, while well, we pulled out the 1,000 troops from Syria, destabilizing that area, at the end of last week, we talked about Trump moving 2,000 troops to Saudi Arabia. On Sunday, Kurdish forces again abandoned. They started to ally with Damascus, which is the government of Assad and an ally of Russia. On Monday, Trump attacked Fox & Friends co-host Brian Kilimead, who called the withdrawal a mistake, tweeting he got... It all wrong, adding Europe has a chance to get their ISIS prisoners, but didn't want the cost. Trump also claimed without evidence the Kurds, quote, may be releasing some of the ISIS fighters to get us involved. Adding the same people who got us into the Middle East mess are the people who most want to stay there. On Monday, 
The Trump regime called on Turkey to implement an immediate ceasefire and opposed sanctions. Vice President Pence said he will lead a delegation to travel to Turkey in the immediate future. Pence told reporters Trump spoke to Kurt, Kurdish President Erdogan on Monday and communicated to him very clearly to stop the invasion. Turkey ignored Trump and continued its military aggression. Later Monday, Trump defended himself, tweeting, quote, after defeating 100% of the ISIS caliphate, I largely moved our troops out of Syria, let Syria and Assad protect the Kurds and fight Turkey for their own land. Trump also defended abandoning the Kurds, tweeting, quote, I hope they all do great. We are 7,000 miles away. And, quote, I would much rather focus on the southern border, which abuts and is part of the United States of America. On Monday, the Washington Post reported a U.S. official with knowledge of military operations in Syria said it was likely Russia would move into the northern city of Manjbi to take the place of U.S. troops that left. On Tuesday, Russia said its troops were patrolling territory in northern Syria between Syria and Turkish forces, filling a vacuum left by Trump's withdrawal and illustrating the change of power in the area. On Tuesday, the New York Times reported Trump following his gut on Syria has resulted in bloody carnage, civilians displaced, the end of peace at a volatile border, and provided a victory for Russia, Iran, the Syrian government, and ISIS. Rarely has a presidential decision resulted in such calamity in so short a time frame. Trump ignored months of warnings from his depleted, inexperienced foreign policy team and had no backup plan. Reportedly, over the weekend, state and energy department officials quietly reviewed plans for extracting roughly 50 tactical nuclear weapons at our air base in Turkey, about 250 miles from the Syrian border. On Tuesday, Trump told reporters, quote, we want to bring our soldiers back home after so many years, and they're the greatest warriors in the world, promised massive tariffs on steel, and halted trade negotiations with Turkey. On Tuesday, Russian President Vladimir Putin invited Erdogan to visit Russia. In the coming days, and Erdogan accepted. Kurdish troops look to Damascus and Moscow now to help against the onslaught they are facing from Turkey. So uh, this is now Wednesday. The U.S. has withdrawn. The void has been filled by Russia. And now you have Vladimir Putin inviting and Erdogan accepting to visit him in Moscow. On Wednesday, Erdogan told Sky News he would not meet with Pence and his delegation, saying, I'm not going to talk to them. They will talk to their counterparts. When Trump comes, I'll be talking. Erdogan's communication director later, later clarified that he would not that he would not meet with the U.S. delegation later Wednesday, but would meet with Pont, Pence and Pompeo Thursday. It is unclear what Erdogan meant in his earlier comments to Sky News. On Wednesday in the Oval Office, before Pence and Pompeo left for Turkey to try to negotiate a ceasefire, Trump told reporters his handling has been, quote, strategically brilliant, adding, quote, it's not our problem. On Wednesday, the Washington Post reported Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell briefed Senate Republicans over lunch to be ready for an impeachment trial of Trump, the third in U.S. history, as soon as Thanksgiving. Later Wednesday, in a news conference with Italian President Sergio Mattarella, Trump said the ongoing conflict was between Turkey and Syria, not the U.S., saying, quote, they've been warring for many years. 
Trump said of the Kurds, quote, there are no angels. There are no angels. Go back and take a look. But added the Kurds would be fine because they, quote, know how to fight and, quote, let them fight their own wars. Trump assessed the region, saying, quote, there's a lot of sand they can play with. And, quote, it's possibly never going to be very stable and said the PKK was respected by ISIS, quote, because they're just as tough or tougher than ISIS. Trump also confirmed New York Times reporting on the existence of roughly 50 nuclear weapons in Turkey, the first U.S. official to do so, in other words, he screwed up, when asked by reporters saying, quote, we're confident and we have a great, a great air base there. While defending his pullout from Syria, Trump praised his decision to send more troops and equipment to Saudi Arabia, saying the U.S. is sending missiles and, quote, great power, and, quote, they're paying for that. On Wednesday, the Wall Street Journal reported the Pentagon carried out an airstrike to destroy an ammunition storage facility at a U.S. base in Syria that housed the headquarters of anti-ISIS efforts so it would not get into enemy hands. Brett McKirk, the former special presidential envoy for the Global Coalition to Counter ISIS, tweeted of the strike it was part of a, quote, break glass procedure, quote, reserved for an extreme worst case scenario. On Wednesday, Fox Business reported on an unconventional letter sent to Erdogan on October 9th, three days after the two spoke by phone, in which he warned he could destroy Turkey's economy. Trump suggested they, quote, work out a deal, adding history, quote, will look upon you forever as a devil if good things don't happen, and, quote, don't be a tough guy, don't be a fool. The letter closed out, I will call you later. Trump told reporters of the letter, I didn't give them a green light, adding, if anybody saw the letter, I wrote a letter right after the conversation, a very powerful letter that was never giving a green light. This letter, I just need to stop and say, was extraordinary. Like, how else do you put it? It sounds like it's written by a middle school student. Don't be a fool. Don't be a tough guy. I will call you later. This is not normal. Later Wednesday, so we're just on Wednesday, the House voted 354 to 60 on a non-binding resolution condemning Trump's withdrawal of U.S. troops from Syria. House Republicans called the withdrawal disastrous and a catastrophe. Trump ally Senator Lindsey Graham said Trump, quote, will be held accountable for ISIS reemerging. And Leader McConnell said he was, quote, sorry, we are where we are and called the U.S.-Kurd partnership a terrific alliance. But yet these two did nothing. On Wednesday, foreign policy reported Trump advanced, Turkey advanced on the Kurdish held town of Kobani, despite Erdogan's promise to Trump that he would not attack the symbolically important town. On Wednesday, in a meeting on Syria, the first between Trump and congressional leaders since the impeachment inquiry started and everyone returned to town, Democratic leaders walked out after Trump called Pelosi a, quote, third-grade politician. Trump also called Defense Secretary James Mattis, quote, the world's most overrated general, adding, quote, he wasn't tough enough. I captured ISIS. Mattis said it would take two years. I captured them in one month. Speaker Pelosi told reporters Trump appeared visibly shaken up after House passage of a bipartisan condemnation, adding they could not continue because, quote, he was just not re- relating to the reality of it. Pelosi said that, quote, 
he just couldn't handle it, adding, quote, I think now we have to pray for his health because this was a very serious meltdown on the part of the president. Pelosi told reporters, she said to Trump, that Russia had long sought a foothold in the Middle East, and Trump's decision to pull out troops has offered an opportunity and told him, quote, all roads with you lead to Putin. Later Wednesday, Trump tweeted Pelosi, Het was the one who had the, quote, meltdown and is a very sick person and that she needs help fast. There is either something wrong with her, quote, upstairs, or she plain doesn't like our great country. Trump tweeted a photo, which is the photo of week 153 from the meeting of Pelosi standing while speaking to others, adding, nervous Nancy, unhinged meltdown. Pelosi, the only woman at the table, made the photo her Twitter cover. On Thursday, BBC reported on Trump's letter to Erdogan, saying the mixture of threats and locker room banter enraged Erdogan. His staff said he threw the letter in the trash and launched the Syrian operation in the same day. On Thursday, Syria said it would counter Turkey, quote, by all legitimate means, according to British-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, dozens of civilians have been killed and 300,000 have been displaced. Shortly after, Pence met with Erdogan at the Turkish presidential palace for a private meeting with only translators. The meeting was scheduled to be 10-minute precursor, but lasted more than an hour. On Thursday, Washington Post reported ISIS is racing to capitalize on the instability and is stepping up attacks to free prisoners and warning of more, calling weakened Kurdish forces abandoned an abandoned American ally. On Thursday, Pelosi told reporters Trump had a, quote, meltdown when she and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer pressed him for plans in the region and what his plans were to combat ISIS. Pelosi said Trump defended the withdrawal, citing his campaign promise to bring Trump's home, troops home. Pelosi said her question to him was, is Saudi Arabia home? And he responded, well, the Saudi Arabians are paying for it. Pelosi told reporters in the now iconic photo Trump tweeted of her standing and pointing her finger at him, she questions his loyalty to the country, asking, quote, why do all roads lead to Putin? On Thursday, Senator Rand Paul blocked an effort to bring the House-passed Syrian resolution up for a vote. Majority Leader McConnell earlier in the day said he wanted to pass a resolution stronger than what had passed in the House. So nothing passed in the Senate. On Thursday, Turkey agreed to a five-day ceasefire to allow Kurds to retreat, to retreat to a safe zone. Pence claimed the agreement, quote, ends all violence, but Turkey's foreign minister contradicted him, calling it a pause. The agreement was heralded as a victory for Turkey. Kurdish forces will disarm and clear the safe zone. Turkey is not obligated to withdraw troops, and Trump lifted sanctions. Kurds were not party to the agreement. Trump celebrated the deal, tweeting, quote, great news out of Turkey, quote, millions of lives will be saved, adding, quote, there needed to be some tough love in order to get it done, and, quote, great for everybody, proud of all. Trump told reporters his unorthodox approach made the deal possible and praised Erdogan as, quote, very smart and a, quote, friend, claiming, quote, everybody agreed to do things that three days ago they would never have agreed to. Trump said Turkey, quote, had a legitimate problem, referring to Kurds living along the Turkish border in Syria, adding, quote, and they 
had to have it cleaned out. Trump threw criticism for seeming to endorse ethnic cleansing. Shortly after, Senator Mitt Romney took to the Senate floor saying, quote, are we so weak and so inept diplomatically that Turkey forced the hand of the United States of America, Turkey? Romney said the decision to abandon the Kurds, quote, strikes at American honor and, quote, will stand as a bloodstain on the annals of American history. And of the complex situation, quote, Russia seemed to have figured it out. This was also unusual on Thursday. Admiral Michael McRaven, a former commander of the U.S. Special Operations Command who oversaw the raid that killed Osama bin Laden, said in an op-ed titled, quote, Our Republic is under attack from the president. McRaven cited the assaults on our institutions, including intelligence, the State Department, the press, and added, quote, our leaders stand beside our leaders stand beside despots and strongmen, preferring their government narrative to our own. He added, quote, We are the most powerful nation because our ideals of universal freedom and equality protect the less fortunate, adding these virtues, quote, have sustained this nation for the past 243 years. McRaven said, quote, if Trump doesn't demonstrate the leadership that America needs, then it is time for a new person in the Oval Office, adding the sooner the better, and, quote, the fate of our republic depends upon it. Later Thursday, at an annual dinner, James Mattis, the former defense secretary who Trump had mocked, mocked Trump back, saying, quote, I'm not just an overrated general, I'm the greatest, the world's most overrated, adding, so I guess I'm the Meryl Streep of generals. Mattis said people asked him if Trump calling him overrated bothered him, and he said, quote, of course not. I have earned my spurs on the battlefield, adding Donald Trump earned his spurs in a letter from a doctor. On Thursday, Pew Research found 54% approve of an impeachment inquiry, 44% disapprove. A majority, 58%, say Trump has definitely or probably done things that are grounds for impeachment. On Friday, Erdogan told reporters that Trump's letter to him broke, quote, diplomatic and political courtesy, adding, quote, we will for not forget this lack of respect and we will take necessary steps when time allows. So again, Turkey, a third-rate dictatorship, a member of ally, you know, a member of NATO, but nonetheless an authoritarian regime has outplayed the United States of America and Donald Trump so thoroughly that this week that they are threatening to go after him for diplomatic and political courtesy because of his inappropriate letter and totally disregarding all of what he said and agreed to with Trump. And it was just an embarrassment, as Romney rightly said on the Senate floor. On Friday, the Times of London reported Turkey is suspected of using white phosphorus, known as a chemical weapon, against Kurdish civilians in Syria. UN chemical weapons inspectors announced an investigation. On Friday, NBC News reported fighting continued on the Turkey-Syrian border despite the U.S.-led ceasefire or pause. Kurdish forces claimed the Turkish forces were not slowing down their assault. Later Friday, Trump tweeted that he spoke to Erdogan, saying, quote, he told me there was a minor sniper and mortar fire that has been quickly eliminated, adding, quote, he very much wants the ceasefire or pause to work. Trump added the Kurds want, quote, quote the ultimate solution to happen, again invoking terminology of genocide, adding, quote, it was always held together with very weak band-aids, 
and in an artificial manner. Trump quoted Erdogan's tweet, which said, quote, many more lives will be saved when we defeat terrorism, which is a humanity's arch enemy. Trump retweeted that and added defeat terrorism, seeming again to endorse ethnic cleansing. Later Friday, Trump told reporters the situation is, quote, fragile and saying of the critics of his decision in the region, quote, these are the same people that have been failing for the last 20 years who, quote, didn't know what they were doing. On Friday, Speaker McConnell said in an op-ed, quote, withdrawing U.S. forces from Syria is a grave strategic mistake, but did not mention Trump by name. And McConnell has done nothing this week to do anything to blunt or stop Trump. On Saturday, BBC reported Kurdish and Turkish forces accused the other of violating the pause. Erdogan said if Kurds do not withdraw by Tuesday, quote, we will start where we left off and continue to crush the terrorists' heads. Okay, so that's the end of our discussion on Turkey and Syria and Russia and the Kurds that we abandoned. Uh, We're going to talk about it at the very close of the week, but I just want to put in perspective how quickly this has played out and unwound. This pause that was supposed to be something that would allow the Kurds to escape this border region and just turn it over to Turkey. Turkey is continuing to attack them, continuing to use language, as is Trump supporting the notion of ethnic cleansing. Okay, now we're going to talk about some other topics. On Monday, Politico reported Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg has been hosting secretive talks and off-the-record dinners with conservative journalists and commentators to discuss free speech and partnerships. Zuckerberg has met with Tucker Carlson, Senator Lindsey Graham, and others. Reportedly, he is concerned Attorney General William Barr will take action to break up Facebook and is looking to appease the Trump regime. On Thursday, Zuckerberg made the decision to allow politicians to post political ads with misleading or false claims on Facebook, saying, you know, I'm sorry, he defended the decision, not made the decision, I apologize, defended the decision to allow this, which last week he would said that he would allow politicians to post political ads with misleading or false claims on Facebook, saying tech companies should not decide what is true and, quote, something we have to live with. On Monday, China said it wanted another round of trade talks before starting phase one, signing phase one of the trade deal. Remember last Friday, Trump had that big announcement out of the Oval Office about this trade deal with China. China still hasn't signed it as of Monday. It was unclear when the next round would take place. On Tuesday, the Chronicle of Higher Education reported Trump trade advisor Peter Navarro repeatedly quoted economist Ron Vara in his book on China. Ron Vara does not exist, but is an anagram of his name. On Tuesday, George Kent, the Deputy Assistant General of the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs, testified for seven hours behind closed doors to the three House committees about Trump Ukraine. The State Department directed Kent not to appear and tried to limit his testimony, just as they did with Hill and Sunland and everybody else, the House Intelligence Committee then issued a last-minute subpoena compelling him to appear, and he complied. So again, notice the difference that people are ignoring the State Department and White House and appearing. Similarly, the State Department and White House again had told Hill and Yovanovitch not to appear as part of its full haul to any cooperation, the three-fit a pattern of former and current officials disregarding Trump. 
Kent testified he, along with others whose portfolio included Ukraine, were sidelined from all decision-making relating to Ukraine after a May 23rd meeting that organized by Mulvaney. Kent called it wrong. Kent called three people declared themselves responsible for Ukraine, Sondland, Kurt Volker, and Energy Secretary Rick Perry. The three had just returned from visiting for Zelensky's inauguration and urged Trump to meet him. They called themselves the, quote, three amigos. Trump, Perry said on Tuesday he was, quote, involved in Ukraine policy more than anybody, and I never saw or heard anything that was untoward, not by the president, not by anyone. Kent testified Giuliani relied on former Ukrainian prosecutor general Lutensko for damaging information on Yovanovitch which was also shared with John Solomon, a former columnist for The Hill. That's the last week we talked about a conservative columnist. That's who it is, John Solomon. Giuliani and The Hill claimed Yovanovitch provided a do not prosecute list to Ukrainian officials to protect the Bidens and others. Kent, however, testified the document was phony, noting most of the names are misspelled. Kent testified he was told to, quote, lay low, After raising concerns about Giuliani, Kent came to lawmakers' attention after his emails were cited in a packet provided to Congress by Intelligence Community's IG, Michael Atkinson. On Wednesday, the Washington Post reported Mulvaney was a key facilitator of the campaign to pressure Ukraine, driven by a desire to please Trump. He listened to Trump and Giuliani discuss enlisting Ukraine in conspiracies. Mulvaney met frequently with Sondland and others, and details were kept from Bolton and others who had raised concerns. Mulvaney was not under the July 25th call, but his top aide, Rob Blair, was and briefed him. On Trump's orders, Mulvaney placed $400 million of aid on hold the week before the July 25th call. The off-the-book effort with Ukraine could not have proceeded without Mulvaney's help, facilitating meetings, circumventing national security, and blocking aid. On Tuesday, Trump complained, tweeting, quote, Democrats are not allowing transparency at the witch hunt hearings, adding if Republicans ever did this, they would be excoriated by the fake news. Well, actually, they did do that with Bill Clinton. On Tuesday, Trump tweeted a video by Project Veritas, a group that has been thoroughly discredited, claiming bias against him by CNN. Trump later tweeted, quote, rumor has it that Jeff Zucker will be resigning, he spelled resigning wrong, momentarily. On Friday, in a four-page letter to CNN, Zucker and an EVP of CNN, Trump attorney threatened to sue the network over their alleged pro-impeachment bias, demanding a substantial payment. On Tuesday, the U.S. Courts of Appeal for the First Circuit, Fourth Circuit agreed to rehear the Emoluments Clause lawsuit relating to Trump Hotel D.C. brought by the attorneys general in Maryland and the district. On Wednesday, Trump tweeted support for Representative Andy Biggs, reintroducing a censure of Adam Schiff for a vote in the House, saying, quote, all hope all House Republicans and honest Democrats will vote to censure. Trump accused Schiff of, quote, fabricating, and then put in parentheses, making up, a totally phony conversation with the UK president and U.S. president me. Biggs has the support of leaders Kevin McCarthy, Liz Cheney, and Minority Whip Steve Scalise. On Wednesday, Schiff said in a letter to colleagues he will make 
interview transcripts public when they do not, quote, jeopardize investigative equities. He noticed special counsels for Nixon and Clinton investigated privately. Just notably, we talked about the Gallup poll that came out Wednesday that showed important, uh, 52% said that Trump should be impeached. Notably, that's up 14 points since June. That's the Gallup poll. I also want to note that approval for Congress rose dramatically from 18% in September to 25% over that same period of time, driven mostly by Democrats and some independents. On Wednesday, Attorney General, and this is an important story, Andrew Cuomo signed a measure into law, closing the double jeopardy loophole and allowing the state of New York to pursue charges against people who have been pardoned by a president, which means if Trump were to get impeached and he were to be pardoned by whoever comes next, be it Pence or who's ever left standing, that he could still be tried in New York for all the various crimes we've been discussing that are, are in play with New York prosecutors. On Wednesday, Michael McKinley, a former senior advisor to Pompeo, who resigned last week, testified before the three House committees behind closed doors. Pompeo did not thank him for his 37 years of service, and he was the third person in three days to testify. The Washington Post reported, according to portions of his testimony, he said, quote, I was disturbed by implications that foreign governments were being approached to procure negative information on political opponents. He said he resigned over, quote, the utilization of our ambassadors overseas to advance domestic political objectives and the failure to offer, quote, support to foreign service employees caught up in the impeachment inquiry. He also cited, quote, the unwillingness of State Department leadership to defend Yovanovitch. He said, quote, I was convinced that this would also have a serious impact on foreign service morale and the integrity of our work overseas. While he was testifying, Trump told reporters while seated beside Italian President Sergio Mattarelli that Pelosi hands out subpoenas, quote, like cookies, and, quote, I have all these people testifying. I don't even know these people. Trump also continued his complaint echoing, echoed by loyal Republicans about closed-door hearings, saying, quote, we're not allowed to representation. We're not allowed lawyers. We're not allowed to have anything. On Wednesday, in an interview with the Wall Street Journal, Secretary Perry said he sought out Giuliani at the direction of Trump in the spring to better understand Trump's concerns about Ukrainian corruption. Perry said when he called Giuliani to ease a path between Trump and Zelensky, Giuliani described unsubstantiated claims about Ukraine's alleged efforts in the 2016 election on behalf of Hillary Clinton. Perry claimed he never heard from Trump or any of his appointees, Giuliani or Ukrainian business officials, Investig about investigating Joe and Hunter Biden that Trump did not make an explicit that Trump had made an explicit demand for a meeting with Zelensky. And now we're going to get into the trial balloons thrown by the Trump regime to see what they could get away with. These are rather fantastical for better lack of better words. On Thursday, Mulvaney announced that that Trump had awarded the 2020 G7 summit to himself to the Trump Durrell golf course marking the first time in modern history a sitting president has awarded a massive contract to himself. Mulvaney also acknowledged to reporters that Trump held up military aid to Ukraine, in part over Trump's request for the country to investigate an unfounded conspiracy about the DNC server. Mulvaney cited three reasons in total for holding up aid, corruption in Ukraine, frustration that European governments were not providing more aid to Ukraine, and the DNC server. 
When asked by a reporter if this amounted to quid pro quo, Mulvaney said, quote, we do that all the time with foreign policy. He claimed holding up aid was not related to the Bidens, despite the July 25th phone call. When pressed on foreign policy, Mulvaney told reporters, quote, get over it, adding, quote, there's going to be political influence in foreign politics that is going to happen. Elections have consequences. Later, Mulvaney added to this, saying, quote, did Trump also mention to me in the past the corruption related to the DNC server? Absolutely. No question about that. And that's it. And that's why we held up the money. Pause. Shortly after, Jay Sekulow, one of Trump's personal lawyers, told the Times that Trump's, quote, legal counsel was not involved in acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney's press briefing. On Thursday, Chairman Schiff said, quote, I think Mr. Mulvaney's acknowledgement means that things have gone from very, very bad to much, much worse. Later Thursday, the Washington Post editorial board wrote Mulvaney's comments reveal, quote, it was quid pro quo, it was corrupt, and he confessed it, quote, in the cynical expectation, this is important, folks, Republicans would not hold Trump accountable. Later Thursday, Mulvaney reversed himself a few hours later in a written statement claiming, quote, once again, the media has decided to misconstrue my comments to advance a biased and political witch hunt against Trump. Mulvaney wrote, quote, there was absolutely no quid pro quo between Ukrainian military aid and any investigation and said, quote, Trump never told me to withhold any money until the Ukrainians did anything related to the server. Exactly the opposite of what he said three hours earlier. On Friday, Speaker Pelosi called his comments a, quote, confession and said, quote, it's also a cavalier attitude of get over it, saying the Trump regime has, quote, tried to make lawlessness normal and even make lawlessness a virtue. On Thursday, and this is, again, testimony that was originally scheduled for last week that happened this week, uh, Sunland testified before the House committees behind closed doors for more than nine hours, saying he believed it was improper for the White House to withhold aid pending opening an investigation. There was not a heck of a lot of reporting about what was said other than his opening statement, but here's what we know. Sondland said in an opening statement, Trump directed him and others to work with Giuliani to push Ukraine to conduct investigations, but he claimed he was not aware of their motives a claim House Democrats found suspect. He said that he and other senior administration officials did not want to work with Giuliani, but they could not ignore Trump's directive. He said he and others later pieced together the scheme. He said in responding to Bill Taylor's text, quote, I asked the president, what do you want from Ukraine? The president responded, nothing. There is no quid pro quo. The president repeated no quid pro quo multiple times. So, We'll hear more about what Sondland said, but I kind of agree with House Democrats. That does not seem to line up. And based on what we heard earlier in Fiona Hill's testimony, count this guy as a not very reliable witness. On Thursday, in the House Judiciary Committee's effort to obtain grand jury materials in the Mueller probe, Judge Beryl Howell, and this is pretty extraordinary again, folks, ruled the Department of Justice improperly redacted a court filing. The judge said the DOJ redacted two names who figure prominently in the probe, invoking grand jury secrecy protections, even though they did not testify before the grand jury. Well, she ordered the DOJ to reveal their names. 
On Thursday, Bloomberg reported in what may be an offshoot of the Mueller probe, U.S. federal authorities are seeking records related to terrorist services seized by U.K. authorities, uh, and the company is associated with, here's a blast from the past, Oleg Deraspaska. On Thursday, AP reported a farming business owned by billionaire West Virginia Governor Jim Justice received $125,000 in soybean farm aid, the maximum amount. The medium amount in Trump's program was roughly $6,000. So again, he's using the Depression-era program to pay out billionaires over $100,000. On Thursday, Rick Perry resigned as Energy Secretary. Perry oversaw a 25% expansion in the department's budget in his two years. Trump said as he arrived in Texas for a campaign rally that Perry would leave at the end of the year. As we said in the open, this is now the 10th member of the cabinet that has resigned. And I need to specify those are, act, those are confirmed members of the cabinet. There are several other acting, including McKellen, who we talked about last week, who has also resigned. This is the highest turnover in modern history. Perry said he was resigning to spend more time with his, with his family. A lot of them seem to say that. He said he and the Energy Department lawyers would not comply with a Friday deadline in the congressional subpoena for documents related to his work in Ukraine. On Thursday, at a campaign rally in Dallas, Trump said he was smart to let Turkey attack the Kurds, comparing them to, quote, two kids in a lot, saying, quote, sometimes you have to let them fight, and, quote, then you pull them apart. Previously, Trump had denied he had given the green light to Erdogan to attack the Kurds, but changed his story at the rally, saying, quote, without a little tough love, they would never have made the deal. Trump accused the, quote, radical Democrats of trying to, quote, overthrow the results of a great, great election, maybe the greatest election, in order to, quote, impose their extreme agenda, saying they do not love our country. Trump also attacked Pelosi, calling her Crazy Nancy and saying, quote, she is crazy, as well as the whistleblower saying, quote, who is the whistleblower? Who is the whistleblower? Is this whistleblower a spy? On Thursday, Hillary Clinton said in an interview that Putin has compromised on Trump and that Russia is grooming a third party candidate in the Democratic field to upset the race in 2020. On Friday, White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham emailed to the press that the 2020 G7 summit, quote, saying everything will be done at cost due to the emoluments clause, but did not give details to answer what that meant. On Thursday, outgoing Homeland Security Secretary, who resigned last week, Kevin McAllenan, announced the regime would reinstate aid to Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador after Trump had abruptly cut off aid due to the influx of migrants. And I just want to point out a similarity here that the media hasn't really picked up on. Trump's unilaterally pulling aid or not giving aid to Ukraine after it had been congressionally approved. The aid to Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador is also congressionally approved and Trump cut that off. So that's example number two. And now the third story. On Friday at congressional hearings, two top officials at HUD Irv Dennis and David Wall admitted they knowingly failed to comply with law, stalling Puerto Rico hurricane relief funds. Dennis and Wall, in defending the delays, echo talking points of Trump and HUD Secretary Ben Carson, citing, quote, alleged corruption and fiscal irregularities, as well as, quote, Puerto Rico's capacity to manage these funds. 
Two years after Maria hit Puerto Rico, the island has received just one-third of the $43 billion Congress allocated towards hurricane recovery. Wolf claimed deadlines were missed because HUD was waiting on audits. On Friday, Washington Post reporter George Kent said in his testimony he wanted in 2015 Hunter Biden's position, he warned Hunter Biden's position at Burisma could raise conflicts of interest, but was rebuffed in part because Joe Biden was overwhelmed with his other son, Beau, battling cancer. On Friday, the Washington Post reported after two weeks of closed-door testimony, Trump has emerged as the center of orchestrating efforts to pressure Ukraine to dig up dirt on his political opponents. Despite Trump's White House efforts, a growing number of officials are coming forward with damaging evidence of potential violation of law, including prohibitions on accepting campaign money from a foreign entity. Testimony has also revealed that although Giuliani took actions outside normal channels and without being a government official and going through normal protocols for those positions, he did so at Trump's behest. And I need to stop and point out how unusual this is for someone who is not government confirmed, let alone even gone through the checks of their background checks, a normal background check, to be taking on a diplomacy kind of role. But Giuliani did so, we've learned this week, at Trump's behest. On Friday, Politico reported, according to House Democrats, Republicans are trying to paint Giuliani as a rogue, one-man mission who took actions not sanctioned by Trump. Although, again, based on testimony, that is not true. On Friday, former GOP Governor John Kasich told CNN Trump deserves to be impeached, calling withholding aid from Ukraine, quote, totally inappropriate and a, quote, abuse of power and saying, I say this with great sadness. On Friday, Representative Francis Rooney said on CNN of Trump regimes digging up unproven allegations from linking Ukraine to the DNC server, quote, what, are we trying to escalate Russia? On Friday, Representative Scalise and Representative Tom Cole introduced a resolution to change the rules of impeachment and allow members not on the committees overseeing it to have access to proceedings, depositions, and transcripts. In other words, they're trying to get that information to leak it to Trump. On Friday, Trump attacked Senator Romney, tweeting a video accusing him of being, quote, exposed by news reports as a Democrat secret asset, and, quote, Republicans must stick together and fight. On Friday, speaking to Christina Koch and Jessica Mayer, who are the first all-woman spacewalk, Trump incorrectly said that this was, quote, first time woman outside, woman walked outside the space station which actually happened in 1984. But that's the kind of simple stuff under Trump we get wrong. On Friday, a multi-year State Department probe of Hillary Clinton. Handling of emails as Secretary of State concluded, finding no deliberate mishandling of classified information by department employees. That story again broke Friday, late in the day, Friday afternoon, that Hillary basically did nothing wrong Basically, the whole premise of Trump's 2000 campaign with Hillary's asset-washed emails, his own State Department has found that Hillary Clinton did nothing wrong. On Friday, the Washington Post reported a growing number of Republican lawmakers are exasperated with Trump's indefensible behavior, including hosting at the G7 property, the G7 at his property, the Syria withdrawal, and Ukraine. Heading into a likely impeachment vote, 
fewer Republicans are willing to publicly defend Trump's actions. As American sentiments shift, at least one, Representative Francis Rooney is considering voting for impeachment. On Friday, CNN reported Giuliani pressed the State Department and White House to grant a visa to Viktor Shokin, a Ukrainian prosecutor general fired in 2016 after pressure from the West, including Joe Biden, the IMF, and the European Union. In House testimony, Kent said Giuliani made the request in January. Giuliani previously told CNN Shokin had promised dirt on Democrats. The visa was rejected by political leadership of the State Department. On Friday, the New York Times reported that despite congressional and SDNY scrutiny, Giuliani is continuing to represent clients and uses access to Trump and, his, and the regime to broker deals and take on consulting contracts. A few weeks ago, Giuliani secured a meeting with the head of the DOJ's criminal division and attorneys in the fraud section to discuss a foreign bribery case involving one of his clients. Impeachment investigators have subpoenaed records related to Giuliani's involvement also with 45 Energy Group, which has paid $425,000 by a foreign company seeking American support for a methane project in, 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 in Uzbekistan. On Friday, USA Today, Ipsos poll found 50% of Americans believe removing troops from Syria is damaging the U.S. reputation as a trusted ally, and 61% believe we have an obligation to protect the Kurds. Later Friday, during an appearance on Real Time, Trump tweeted that Susan Rice was, quote, a disaster to President Obama as national security advisor, and, quote, is now telling us her opinion on what to do with Syria. Uh, also, a mental note that Trump is sitting in the White House watching HBO on a Friday night and tweeting about it. Rice responded, then why did you come up to me and hug me when I'd never met you, which was totally gross, adding, I had been very, and told me I'd been treated very unfairly over Benghazi and I was doing a great job before the country. On Saturday, the New York Times reported that federal prosecutors led by John Gurham and closely overseen by Attorney General William Barr have already interviewed about two dozen current and former FBI officials indicating the investigation to investigate the investigators is far along. Durham's team has also sought help from governments to prove right-wing attacks and conspiracy theories about the origins of the Russian investigation, raising concerns that he is looking to deliver Trump a political victory. Malvaney mentioned on Thursday that Durham's team has sought help from Ukraine. Durham has yet to interview former FBI officials who played key roles, including Peter Strzok, James Comey, and Andrew McCabe. The investigation of the investigators, including Department of Justice IG Michael Horowitz's work, has grown to include 2,800 subpoenas, 500 search warrants, 13 requests to foreign governments for evidence, and 500 witnesses interviewed. That pales to the impeachment inquiry. And these are all conspiracy theories that have no basis on fact. On Saturday, Representative Francis Comey announced he would retire in 2020. He had said on Friday on possible support for impeachment, quote, I'll be looking at my children a lot longer than I'll be looking at anyone in this building. On Saturday, NBC News reporter Richard Engel tweeted diplomats in D.C. are alarmed that the U.S. could, quote, be held responsible for crimes against humanity for ethnic cleansing, for knowing and failing to stop it in Syria. 
On Saturday, Trump tweeted, quote, such a disgrace that the do-nothing Democrats are doing just as their name suggests, doing nothing. He also separately tweeted, quote, stop the coup. The tweets were two of 31 tweets and retweets sent by Trump before noon on Saturday. Trump skipped golfing to remain in the White House amid, amid the pending crisis. So that ends the longest week so far, folks. Stay tuned. As I said in the introduction, folks, we are approaching the end of one of two things, either Donald Trump or our democracy, because we cannot withstand this for much longer. Stay safe and keep posted.